when we think about rubber, it's usually much more based on natural occurring type materials. And when you think about like natural rubber, right, we get that from rubber trees and it's definitely a resource that has been overtapped and used for many centuries. But now we get into a space with silicone as an elastomer to be kind of a rubber type component just from a material property standpoint. It has that feeling, right, of rubber where it's got elasticity and that recovery that comes when you think of, of rubber and handling of rubber. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Michelle Cummings. She's a senior R&D leader at Dow Performance Silicones. We're going to talk about uh, silicone chemistry and polymer chemistry and her work at Dow. So Michelle, thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I've worked at Dow as part of, part of Dow Corning and Dow Chemical now for 25 years and been in silicone polymer space doing research that full time. So curious, know what kind of things, yeah, come to mind when you think about silicone polymers and, and polymer chemistry. Well, when I think of silicone, I think of silicone wafers. When I think of silicone, for some reason, I think of breast implants, but I know it's not even close to that. Or I think of cooking where you have like a, you know, like a silicone rubber end to a spatula or things like that. So, you know, it's probably what, what other people just out in the world think about would be my guess, but that, that's what comes to mind. But yeah, what, uh, what are you working on? Yeah, so those are definitely, I think, applications that consumers pretty readily associate with silicone and silicon when you're talking about kind of on the wafer side of things. So yeah, I've been working on uh, silicone elastomers, adhesive, sealant, potent materials. So those are, they're really there kind of to fill in between different components to keep things stable from like vibration or to keep them sealed from water, other type of environmental exposure. So one thing that comes to mind is now what jumps into my mind is rubber versus silicone. What's the differences and what's the property differences? Yeah. So rubber, so rubber, when we think about rubber, it's usually much more based on natural occurring type materials. And when you think about like natural rubber, right, we get that from rubber trees and it's definitely a resource that has been overtapped and used for many centuries. But now we get into a space with silicone as an elastomer to be kind of a rubber type component just from a material property standpoint. It has that feeling, right, of rubber where it's got elasticity and that recovery that comes when you think of of rubber and handling of rubber, but it definitely exhibits properties where you have much better high temperature 
stability than like a, a butyl rubber that is made from more carbon chain molecules than from the silicone oxygen chain molecules. So it, it's an organic chemistry based rubber, butyl rubber versus that silicone rubber that is a silicon oxygen backbone. So silicon mm. oxygen gives you a lot more flexibility and you can have a much longer chain polymer and have a lot more flexibility with silicone than you can with an organic material. Typically with an organic material, the longer, longer the chain you go, the higher or the more easily you can crystallize the material so, so um, it becomes since, harder since faster. A, okay so since you have a silicon oxygen backbone i, I guess it's not going to oxidize because it already is so it would be resistant to uh, wear and tear more than rubber that that could oxidize and break apart yeah so absolutely broke. yeah so uh high temperature thermal stability is one of the primary reasons that people use silicone polymers to create silicone elastomers or silicone rubbers because it does, well, one has that flexibility, right? But then two, it is that high temperature resistance. So we could be up in the 250 degrees C without seeing significant degradation where if you put an organic rubber under those conditions quickly can get that material to essentially degrade and and burn down to basic carbon molecules. Okay. And then also because uh, again you have silicon oxide backbone, is it hydrophilic? I mean, will will it does it get wet and stay wet easy? Maybe I mean there's some van der Waals bonding. Yeah, so from water. it's actually so silicone, that SIO backbone. We also think about what are the other functional groups on there. And typically, it, uh, standard silicone typically has methyl groups as those other functional groups attached to that silicone. So silicon can have four, four bonds around it, right? So you have one bond to the oxygen, and then typically the other three bonds, like on a, on a terminal end of a polymer, those are typically uh, methyl groups or the CH3. And with that combination like that, it makes it actually very hydrophobic. So it resists water. And that's why silicone is used for water repellents and, you know, waterproofing coatings and that kind of thing because it does resist water and a low surface energy. So it feeds that water up pretty significantly and repels. Okay. And then since it can have methyl functional group, are there any silicon natural rubber hybrids? Since it can bond to, you know, carbon, which can have also all kinds of active groups on it. Like, why couldn't yeah, you bond uh, again, uh, you know, have a silicon, you know, rubber type hybrid where the two are bonded together? Yeah, and this is, I think this is where, you know, naming and, and how we talk about silicone and, and silicone chemistry gets a little bit, yeah, a little bit, I guess, difficult to, to distinguish between a pure silicone material and a hybrid material where you would have silicone organic. So for all silicone polymers, you have the silicon oxygen backbone but you always have some carbon-based organic functional group to make the material do what you want it to do. So even when we talk about uh, a 100% silicone elastomer, if we use, for example, a, a heat 
cured chemistry to cross-link polymers into an elastomer. We have hydrogen, typically a hydrogen group and a vinyl group that we're cross-linking together. Well, that, that hydrogen group and that vinyl group, that's considered, you know, organic groups on that silicone backbone in order to enable that chemistry to happen. But yet we classify it under a 100% silicone elastomer material. So many times those levers that we have to either change the cure mechanism, whether that be condensation cure or heat cure or UV cure, that is all, those are all organic functional groups that we're putting on the silicon oxygen backbone, either at the ends in the terminal position or in the middle, which is considered the pendant position along the, the silicone polymer. So when you think about it like that, right? I mean, technically you could be like, oh, well you have organic and silicone together, right? So, so that could time? be a hybrid, but a silicone hybrid, like you have, you typically have a much greater abundance organic content on that silicone reacted onto that silicone backbone or as like a copolymer or something like that in order to be so really what's considered the, um, a hybrid. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. What's the degradation significance then? So if you have silicone, you know, that's really degraded, do you still, does the backbone forever preserves or does it break apart and the backbone breaks apart too? Yeah. So in the degradation process, so if we look at like heat as a, a way of thermal degradation, silicone, it ends up going, breaking down to silica. So it's an SI with basically four oxygens around it or an SISI with all capped with oxygen. So you always have, you're, you're going down back down to silica, which is a crystalline type structure quartz. So quartz is a silica. So it, from a thermal standpoint, you degrade down to that. You also can under certain conditions, like a, you know, a very basic condition, a silicone polymer can be degraded back down to, to cyclic type molecules. So we have a variety of cyclic ring sizes that we typically start from to make those silicone polymers. And we do a ring opening equilibration reaction to make the polymers. So if you put it in the presence of a very strong base, you can break it back down to those, to the, the cyclic pipe molecules that they original, that the polymer was originated from. Hmm, okay. 
Um, but again, when in, when rubber degrades, it being more primarily based of carbon chains, you know, and crossing chains versus silicon oxide type chains. Again, does the does the degradation look different for silicone products versus? Um, you know, I know it turns into silica and everything, but yeah. So essentially, so, it degrades into sand-like particles, or what does it degrade into? The so the silica, yeah, degrades down into quartz, which is it is it's sand and. On the organic side, not an area of my specialty, by the way, um, but it does break down to, to carbons or shorter carbon chains um, under various conditions. And so you still have either way, right, depending in that degradation process, like have you consumed those functional groups and have those completely broken down or not? Because if you think about going back to what I said on the organic functionality that's on a silicone polymer, right, that carbon essentially breaks all the way down. Those uh, CH3 methyl species break all the way down completely before that silicone backbone starts to break down. And so when you look at that on the, on the uh, butyl rubber side of things in the organic, uh, from an organic polymer, it breaks down to the base carbon element, which when you think about carbon, um, I think that the easiest thing to associate that with is like um, like charcoal or, you know, had a, a wood fire and you, you have all that ash that's left behind. So that that's your, your base carbon element. Okay, so what are, I don't know what you can say what's proprietary, but what are some of the new compounds or applications you're working on now? Yeah, I can talk about some applications that we have launched pretty recently, I would say in the last last few years. So one thing that I worked on, so I switched from an individual contributor and platform leader to a a people group leader about just about three years ago. So what I was working on before I became a group leader is optical moldable silicone materials for LED lighting. And so these are lenses that are made out of clear silicone elastomer materials that are cross-linked with heat through uh, what we call hydrosylation, and that's the hydrogen and the vinyl groups being cross-linked with a metal catalyst. And uh, we make these lenses through a, a injection molding process. So we provide the liquid material, our customers have the lens design, and our customers do the, in, the injection molding, the lens designs that they're looking at. So our, our main areas that we were targeting are uh, automotive headlamp lighting and outdoor like street lighting. And so we would make, we make uh, those liquid optically clear materials that our customers then can make into any configuration that they have in mind for um, specifically targeting those those types of applications. But there's a wide range of areas that silicone, clear optical silicone materials can be used today when it comes to lighting in general. So uh, yeah, one particular area that I think the, you know, the public in at least in the US will start to become a little more familiar with that is absolutely enabled by silicone elastomer is called an adaptive driving beam headlamp. 
And uh, this is a technology that has been in Europe for many years, but with the in February of 22, with the infrastructure bill that was passed, it opened the restrictive legislation around headlamps and what we can do as far as innovation around head, headlamps and automotive from a safety standpoint. So that 2022, that opened up. So I expect in the next few years that our U.S based automakers will be definitely getting into the business of offering adaptive adaptive driving beam headlamps in vehicles and essentially this this goes to address uh, safety issues when you're driving so i'm sure then in a situation where uh, you have you have an oncoming car that has really bright headlamps and you're driving past it and you're you're nearly like blinded as the other driver and so these adaptive driving headlamps actually uh, use the video systems in the front and the rear of the car to sense kind of the environment around and they can turn on and off selective led light to try to reduce that glare to uh, reduce having those headlamps pointed right at the eyes of the oncoming driver. So it, it reduces that safety concern around blinding that oncoming driver, but still allows you to see really well the road and the sides of the road. So you can be looking for other potential hazards that are that you're coming up upon as you're driving. So, okay. The, so the silicone plays what role in the headlights? Why, what, does it help make them adaptive or what is it about the, the silicone addition that Yeah. So silicone, it is, we talked about it being very flexible, right? And so that makes it, that makes it tough. It can have a lot of elasticity and it can snap back in place. And so if you're doing very complicated designs and our opti you know optical engineers when you're talking about headlamps right they get into very complex designs in order to reduce glare and direct the light exactly where they want it to go so silicone's advantage is that it can be injection molded into a very difficult design and what they call a, a negative angle even where essentially you have an angle that something that's like kind of closing in itself and still either through uh, a many times there's a robot on the injection molder that is holding on to the parts and then pulling them out of the mold and the uh, durability silicone due to its material properties allows for that to happen without any cracking or any uh, damage to the parts and that's that's really necessary to keep the part in in pristine condition so that you don't induce like light scattering or something like that from the LED and you can really direct the light exactly where it was intended based on the, the design. Okay, I understand. Quick question I should have asked you at the beginning. Is there yeah. a difference between the silicone and silicon? Or is that just how some people- Yeah, so silicon is the element and it is a metal-like uh, element when you think about it. So it's very crystalline in nature. And silicon is really what is, you know, used for microchips and, and that kind of thing. And if you've seen silicon, 
pecan wafers, right? They're typically, you know, a grayish type color to them and they're very hard and very brittle and it is all, all crystalline at that point. Silicone has this repetitive SIOSI linkage on the backbone of a polymer and it's very linear. You can have you can have P branched and you can have um, you know other configurations too, but for the most part, because that SI uh, SIO repeating linkage, it allows for a lot of flexibility. And so silicone typically is very, very flexible and very non non-metallic like. Okay, thank you for clarifying. So what what is the best place for people to get an idea of the the products that are coming from Dow Corning or Dow Chemical and what's, you know, what's on the what's on the horizon. I don't know what's on the schedule for the future. <laughs> yeah, what's on the horizon. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, so silicones in general play in uh, essentially every market that you could you could think of from a, a consumer standpoint. So home and personal care, automotive, of course, we've talked about a little bit, building and construction. So uh, silicone sealants have had a very, very long, long-standing record in in like building infrastructure. So especially the, the buildings that have uh, the high rises that have glass, on the outside. So that silicone sealant that's used, you really keep all of that in place because of its flexibility and uh, long-term durability. Uh, It's the product of choice for those types of applications. We also play in the, like the textile space. So one thing that you'll, you'll see is with some of the uh, regulations around PFAS, coming through. Uh, the textiles industry is really pushing to uh, eliminate FOSS as any type of uh, water resistant or waterproof coating on any textiles. And so last year we launched a silicone durable water repellent coating for textiles. So we're getting into that space to try to, you know, help with improving our environment and, you know, pushing forward with sustainability, something that isn't going to be like harmful from a, a persistent standpoint, like we've seen with, with PFAS and the, and the resulting materials that stay in the environment there. So those are some of the markets that we definitely are kind of striving you continue to have a presence in. The other one that most consumers probably aren't so familiar with and didn't know that silicone went into all of that technology were especially consumer electronics. Uh, So there's a lot of adhesives in sealants that are silicone based used in uh, consumer electronics today to like help your cell phone be waterproof, for example. So we, I think as we continue to see areas around consumer electronics grow in transportation, we see this push towards electric vehicle and electrification of vehicles. Silicones have a huge play there in helping to uh, drive that technology forward. And then, as I said, uh, those other other markets that we that we play in, we've kind of had 
this longstanding relationship with. So we have a lot of market knowledge around what's needed and continue to try to improve there and, and increase products on the market that do meet a lot of sustainability goals that our customers are striving for also. So we're all kind of working together to try to have materials and use materials in a really smart way, thinking about, you know, what's the impact on the environment overall and how can we do the best that we can and provide the performance that's necessary that uh, consumers are asking for. Okay. Well, very good. Michelle, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You're a good guest and I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I enjoyed being here. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.